Hello and welcome to the Auto Buyer's Guide podcast. Tim is traveling around the world currently in Singapore. So of course we have Brian with us again here. Uh, welcome to 2023, Brian. How cold is it in Detroit right now? It's just been hovering in the mid to low 30s for the oh, most that's part. That's not too bad. Uh, okay. It's really not bad at all. No, and it hasn't snowed since I was here back in December. But uh, people keep telling me that I should just brace for January and February. And we're in January now. So I'm guessing it's going to ramp up soon. It's going to get colder. I don't know what I don't know what to expect. I'm just going to go in cold turkey. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, at least it's better than, than needing a snorkel, which is uh, the situation yeah. at home for me. Uh, we've had 44 inches of rain in the last three weeks, and the storms are not quite over yet. So uh, we'll see. Tiny yeah. tiny landslides everywhere. And uh, we'll, we'll post a picture here uh, for those that are watching this on YouTube. Uh, but the, the most intriguing one of all is this landslide that came down from this tiny road that's close to the hilltops. I don't know what was going on up there. And mm -hmm. the landslide includes bits of shed and garden hoses and all sorts of crazy stuff. I, I, I'm still still confused because now there's not as much water coming out. So maybe they had an illegal dam or something up there and they had a big pond that went boom, boom. I don't know. Crazy. Uh, anyway, that leads us along to uh, the next uh, most uh, intriguing topic here, which was uh, some of the feedback from our infrastructure video on the EV Buyer's Guide channel. Yeah, so apparently this is a more hotly contested issue than we originally thought. I feel like people uh, were just going to watch this video and learn something, but there are, of course, other mm -hmm. attitudes and angles to look at it. And we're seeing that on display a little bit. You can dive in a little bit deeper into what all that entails, but it was it's interesting to read the comments. There's a lot of variety there. Yeah, and I'm just going to go ahead and toss some of my compadres in the auto industry under the bus here because the the thing that I find most interesting in, in this industry that we are both in here is mm -hmm. the relative inability of a, a lar surprisingly large number of people that review cars regularly that don't for some reason think about who's buying the car. Mm -hmm. And it's worth noting that generally in our industry, oddly enough, the vast majority of people that are reviewing cars on a regular basis don't own their own home, so they are not actually representative of the majority of new car buyers. Actually, right. oddly enough, most auto reviewers tend to have, you know, sweet cherry, uh, you know, used cars in their driveway. They love a classic Mercedes or a classic whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of a weird group because the people that are reviewing the new cars are not also buying the new cars. And that does color opinions here and there. <clears throat> I was also shocked in this process because I, I didn't think about this at all. I, I assumed that since I bought my first new car right around when I was 19 or 20, something like that, you, mm. were, you bought your first new car when you were, what, 22? Yeah. Right. Okay, so we are not representative of new car buyers no, no. at all. Um, according to a research, a study done by Hedges and Company, and I should preface this by saying there's not a lot of good data out there other than some of these studies here, right. the average new car buyer is a male in their 50s with high household income and single family home owning. 93% um, of new cars apparently are bought by single family home owners. 
Now that surprised me a little bit because I would have thought there would have been more of a mix, but mm-hmm. the fact that it leans that way so heavily, I guess that kind of says something. Um, and this is kind of the origin of my thought process on why infrastructure doesn't matter at this moment right. for new cars. And I, a lot of qualifiers there. Um, you know, I'm guilty of saying, you know, used car reliability and whatever doesn't matter to our industry because you and I are in the business of reviewing new cars. Whoever right. buys the car next, you know, it's easy to say they don't matter. They do matter. They just don't matter in the line of how does a manufacturer design a new vehicle? And frankly, they're designing that new vehicle for the new car shopper, which is this incredibly interesting demographic. Um, 48% of sedans, 57% of SUVs, 50% of trucks are purchased by people 55 years old and older. And I feel like you also have to consider the 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 monthly payments people are putting themselves through. Those are really high right now. I mean, there's been some viral videos about this, um, highlighting the thousand plus dollar monthly payments people yeah. are doing for cars because they want this car so badly they're willing to literally drain their wallet each month. Or maybe I don't know. I just like it, there's more of that going on than I feel like ever than than ever before. You know. Yeah, there's a ton of that, and in the new yeah. car market, this makes sense because not only is this demographic older and homeowning, they're relatively well off. Uh, supposedly, mm-hmm. the average household income in the United States is somewhere around sixty five, sixty eight thousand uh, dollars this last year. Bearing in mind that the demographic that's buying new cars skews older. And a huge mm-hmm. portion are baby boomers and are retired and living on retirement income. Even still, the average household income in this group is $80,000 a year. So we're talking about a group of people that can pay those payments, which is, I think, I think why we're seeing uh, no real slowdown in new car sales, even though those prices are ramping up. Um, mm-hmm. But what led me to kind of uh, make a note on this one in a way is that this group of people, they're buying cars that are you know, $65,000 on average for a new EV. They can afford the infrastructure at home. They can afford to put in the charging structure at home. Mm-hmm. And that was part of my, 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 my comment on the infrastructure, public infrastructure not being a problem. The vast majority of EV buyers, they're charging at home, they're charging at work, whatever. They can afford it. This is not a problem. But I do see that there is an absolutely valid concern for what happens next. Um, I mean, you're you're renting right now in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were going to replace the car that you bought new with a new EV or a used mm-hmm. EV, this is kind of a, a double problem in a way for that next phase in life for all new cars in the United States. They're mm-hmm. going to get purchased by someone perhaps that owns their home, but perhaps doesn't. They're going to be several years older, so the battery is not going to last as long. So you have this compounding effect of that EV battery. Maybe maybe it did 250 miles when it's new. Now it's three years old. Maybe it does 200 miles on the battery. Uh, that person may be DC fast charging on a regular basis because they mm-hmm. don't have that charging infrastructure at home. And that's going to make that battery wear even faster. So you know, maybe three years later, it can only do 180, 150 miles on a charge, something like that. Uh, and now it's you know six or seven years old. What does that look like? I think that's a valid concern. But then simultaneously for the new car shopper, it still doesn't matter. Right. And I feel like the average person isn't looking far ahead. But the way I see it is, if, you know, compare compare people right now who are picking up used, you know, six, seven plus year old Nissan Leafs, which have what, 50 sometimes miles of range, very low numbers. 
mm-hmm. they're picking it up because they know they don't need more than that and they just want to scoot around town with it and it's inexpensive um and so i feel like that parallels with what we're going to see 10 years from now you're going to see ionic fives and ev sixes and mm-hmm. things like that with 250 to 300 miles of range a little bit less maybe being affordable and you know affordable to people my age people who don't have too much money coming in definitely lower than the average uh car buyer right now they could afford those evs because they're behind the times but at this point they're so good right now i think even 10 years from now we'll still be like that's a usable ev at fifteen thousand dollars used that's kind mm-hmm. of how i think it's gonna go but who knows yeah i'm in i'm intrigued i'm i'm concerned on a you know maybe on a, just a societal level mm-hmm. um I think it is a valid worry. I'm not 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 to be too you know Fox Newsy here. Sorry for anybody that listens to Fox <laughs> News. Um, you know you probably aren't watching me anyway. Uh, but uh, but you know I am concerned about someone that is is you know on the lower end of the income spectrum that maybe mm-hmm. does need a two or three hundred mile range vehicle, and at some point logically that may not be available to them. Uh, It's going to take a long time for us to get there. I mean, this is a pie in the sky concern because, you know, 2% of new cars are EVs. And that is a tiny, tiny fraction of all the cars getting sold in the U.S. The U.S. transacts 45 to 50 million car sales a year. Only about 14 to 15 are new cars. You know, hundreds of thousands are EVs. Um, So very small numbers here. But if we logically say everything is going to need to be an EV or a zero emissions vehicle at some point, this does lead me to wonder, you know, maybe EVs are not the answer for for that segment. You know, maybe there need to be more investment in hydrogen and other infrastructure uh, concerns for that someone that does need to buy a three or four year old vehicle that's, you know, uh, 50% of its cost when new because it's affordable, still got lots of years left, but then they still expect it to do, you know, regular car things. Speaking of pricey, we have the Defender 110 V8 this week with us. $110,000 as equipped. It is definitely Mm. pricey. Now, have you had a chance to sit in the 130 yet? Have you seen one of those in person? I have, but I haven't spent enough time in them. I hear a lot of people are getting disappointed with the third row. Sure. But the off-road mission of it does definitely leave a third row compromised. I mean, it's it's better than the Outlander. So set expectations appropriately. (laughs) <laughs> true true huh okay um well that should be a fun one i've seen a lot of reviews of the two-door 90 v8 i actually haven't mm. seen anybody review the four-door so have fun with that one yeah the four-door i quite like it i have to admit that when the defender first came out i was i was a little sad i thought well, this is terrible they've destroyed the defender mm-hmm. you know it's no longer that that rough and tumble sort of uh british wrangler yeah. um which you know, it's kind of a trade in positions in a way for these brands since Grand Cherokee's always been sort of the American Land Rover or Range mm-hmm. Rover and you know, now we have the 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 backwards thing here. But I think that I'm okay with the Defender now because in real in in real world Land Rover could never have made an affordable Wrangler Bronco kind of competitor and built it in the UK. It just wouldn't have worked financially for them. Mm-hmm. So instead trying to make this a, you know, maybe more rational G-Wagon, a more affordable G-Wagon kind of a thing, just a, a more rough and tumble version of the rest of the Landy lineup. It, it does make sense in that respect. Uh, the V8 engine sounds lovely. The fuel economy is actually a little better than I thought it would be. We've been averaging about 18 miles per gallon. Um, 
And, you know, it's very, very sure-footed. It has a very good, confident feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been handy, you know, with the weather that we've been having. And the infotainment, they improved it for the, like, was it last model year, I think? Mm-hmm. They've updated some things. Is it yes. better to use now? It is definitely better now. The cool. The display is going to offend some people, like the rest of the lineup. It has that sort of tacked-on tablet yeah. view on the dashboard. Yeah. I'm actually fine with that because it, it gives you a lot of usable storage behind it. And that's probably the oh, nicest yeah, yeah. thing about the Defender is that there there's storage bins and cubbies and pockets and things everywhere. You can – lots of places to jam your smartphone, your mail as you're picking up at the mailbox, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it's a very easy-to-live-with vehicle. It's a luxury U-Haul that goes off-road. Yeah, I mean kind of. It's, it's sort of always been its mission, I guess. Mm-hmm. My only complaint, I guess, would be the practicality of the swing to the side rear door. Some people mm-hmm. love that. Some people might not. Yeah. Um, it does allow them to put the spare tire on the back, which saves on ground clearance and makes the cargo area a little bit bigger. But if you live on a hillside or you do a lot of parallel parking, then that's a little tricky. Yeah, my mom had a 2011 Toyota RAV4, and it had the tire on the back and the side opening door. And I remember she wasn't a fan of that after too long. <laughs> she, No, nah. especially in the grocery store. If she was backed up against somebody and you were, of course, trying to get groceries in, which, of course, don't back into a grocery store parking spot. But she did. And couldn't get it open <laughs> from the car behind it. Yeah, yeah. The, the car and how many times did how many times did she parallel park and then open think, the door and then like jam it into someone's hood? Uh I don't think there was much of that. Oh, okay, like, okay. Yeah, so, that's always anyway. been my worry. Is like you know yeah, you're yeah. on a hill, you're parallel parking, and then does it stop when you want it to stop? <laughs> yeah, I was, I would assume the, the the defender has like a damped uh, door, so it, like it does. you know. It does, yeah, because the RAV4 did not. If you were on an incline, it would just, boom, jam, jam right into you because this, this tire, the whole wheel's back there, yeah. so you got all that weight. Especially when we're talking about like something like this that has wide tires and mm-hmm. big wheels on it, et cetera. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's definitely, you know, it definitely requires some tug to, to move yeah. that. Um, and they're not powered like, you know, a hatch would be. So, mm-hmm. you know, positives and negatives there. Yeah. So while I was on vacation taking a look at very strange cars in Southeast Asia and uh, you were moving into your new place in Detroit, CES happened. Uh, Run us through what happened. Yeah, this was quite a car show this year. I mean, only really four major debuts, I think at least major to us, happened. Um, The first one is a pretty heavy concept. It's the BMW i Vision D. When I first read it, I thought it was Vision ID. And I was like, ooh, Volkswagen, they're coming after your name there, but it turns out it's iVision D. D-E-E stands for Digital Emotional Experience, I believe. Sounds for yeah. we were really hunting for an acronym. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of people are saying, if you look at the design of it, the front end actually, what they've done with the kidney, the kidneys, instead of going vertical with them, they've gone wide horizontal. Mm-hmm. And tell me if you see this, people always think I'm crazy when I say these comparisons, but the front end of this looks like the original Fisker Karma to me, just the way the grill I could, is. I could see a little bit. Yeah, 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 I could see a little bit. It's just the shape of the grill. Mm-hmm. It looks good. I'm just curious what we're actually supposed to be seeing concept-wise because it's so right. concept car. It is. What is going to translate to BMWs that anybody can buy? Well, people were saying that this or somebody hinted at or they maybe just came to the conclusion based on the presentation they were like, oh, I think this might be the 3 Series replacement. And I could see that, but I don't feel like they'll replace the 3 Series 
all outright. I think they will do mm. what they're doing with the other stuff. Have like the three series and the i three somehow because so I don't they're think thinking they can this, it. the sort of the exterior shape is going to morph into a three series shape because that interior does not look production intent. No, by, like, but I think anything. the shape could lend itself to a three series size because if you you know consider the EV platform, they could make it mm. on the outside look like this, which looks actually mm-hmm. smaller than the current. 3 Series, like you said, but the interior will have the same amount of room because of the packaging. Mm, I feel like yeah. they could pull that off. And this looks cool because it's retro, but modern, kind of you know Hyundai Ionic 5 style. Like It's just got some really cool, funky elements to it. Um, I think the shape could make it to production. I think the front end yeah. design can make it to production unless Fisker slash... Karma wants to fight that, but uh. yeah, I could see I could see the front end going because it's it looks it looks uh, the interior is outlandish and concepty, much, but the, yeah. but the exterior actually seems pretty pretty decent. And speaking of concepts that are also out there, we finally got a, a you know a supposed glimpse into Ram's electric mm-hmm. future, but that's mm-hmm. also a little too concept cari for my tastes as far as you know trying to read the tea leaves. Right, and they're saying apparently this is previewing the production model that they're going to reveal later this year. Mm-hmm. So, if that's I can true, believe that for the general shape on the outside, it's one of those. Maybe. I think I think it's the same thing with the other one. It's still very concepty on the interior. Well, if you can recall a majority of the crazy things it has on it, which do you think is guaranteed not to make it to production? One of the, Ooh, the thing I think is guaranteed. the third row. I think that's a cool concept. But I don't know if they can actually do it without it being this just massive military style sized vehicle. Like, yeah, I think the third row is not going to make it. I just don't yeah. think they will do that. I think that the the split barn door tailgate is going to make it because they already mm-hmm. have something like that. I think the front end is probably going to make it as well. I think that mm-hmm. is logical. Um, they did say, uh, which is kind of interesting here, that it's going to be a lot lower than people are thinking. So that that yeah. sleek look is going to make it for aerodynamic reasons. Sure. So it looks like the hood and the bed height are kind of normative for a half-ton truck. The ride right. height looks a little bit lower, but then the cab, that is really slammed down, giving yeah. it much more of a, a passenger car seating uh, sort of vibe. It mm-hmm. is still a body-on-frame truck which is important for some truck shoppers. And it's very different as a result uh, versus what we see in the GM truck lineup Mm -hmm. uh, that's coming up soon. Um, The interior, that I don't know. Uh, Let me scroll through here to some of these interior photos. The big thing for me is the lack of an instrument cluster. I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to give us one. Um, The dashboard lighting and the ceiling lighting, I don't think those are going to make it either. Uh, But I I I think think they could bring the connection, the curve, the Tesla Model X style windshield to ceiling transition that it has. I think they feel like they could pull that off maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I don't know if I would like that, but I could (laughs) see them doing it. Um, that I think is is for me just a, a, a controversial personal feature. Um, you know, not having an ability to block the light really bugs me in 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 vehicles that just have that general design. Right. I think the center console and stuff like that that's believable though. Do you think the pass through from the front will make it? I am curious about that. The pass through from the front makes sense because mm-hmm. it is it is all one piece. So, because uh, it's a body-on-frame vehicle, so the bed and the cab are separate. So no pass-through to the bed uh, in the way some folks might want is possible. Mm-hmm. But that should be possible since that's all one piece. Right. Um, 
I just wonder why we need it. I'm yeah. not clear on that part. Yeah. And it's probably going to be, I mean, we we don't know, of course, till we find out, but this is making me think it's going to be Hummer weight wise. Like, I feel like it's going to be closer to that. I actually uh, think go in the opposite direction. I think yeah. it's going to be a lot closer to lightning. Um, okay. Because the body-on-frame nature of the vehicle actually kind of helps out versus what we've seen in the Hummer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's this sort of general perception in, in the automotive industry that body-on-frame always means heavier. But I think that Ford has proven that that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Hummer and and the Chevy Silverado EV, uh, from the numbers we've been able to sort of divine so far – very strangely heavy due to some of the design constraints around that enormous battery, et cetera. And right. I don't think that we're going to see that same uh, same weight thing play out here with, with this. I'm guessing okay. it's going to be heavy, probably maybe 1,400 pounds, 1,500 pounds heavier than a regular Ram, mm-hmm. but certainly significantly lighter um, than we find in, in the GM trucks. It's worth noting that Rivian's also a body-on-frame truck. And it's also considerably lighter uh, than the Chevy and the Hummer, even though it's a steel vehicle. It's about 7,000 pounds-ish. I'm I'm really intrigued to see what the range-extending model uh, is like, because there is going to be a plug-in hybrid version of this truck. Ram has has been, you know, sending those smoke signals for quite some time. Right, yeah. I'm really intrigued by that, because I think that for a, a pickup truck shopper that really is wanting to go green, but also has a necessity or a desire to tow or off-road or these sorts of things or adventure or whatever that may help move some people into, uh, you know, a reduced emissions vehicle because you wouldn't have that same sort of range anxiety and worry if this had, you know, in a, one of their turbocharged inline sixes under the hood and you could just drive a thousand miles if you wanted to. Yeah. And well, the, you know, the point of C, uh, CES this year was not to have any internal combustion vehicles. And the next thing that was shown off was the Volkswagen ID7, but they mm-hmm. still had camouflage on it. So this it wasn't yeah. a full reveal. They had a car there with their digital camo wrap on it. Um, but you could get a good you could you had a good idea of the size and the overall shape and everything. And they've shown pictures of the interior. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had some time to look at that. What do you what do you take from one calling it the ID7? So apparently this will be the flagship. They're going to do it potentially Mercedes-Benz style, where there's the EQS and the EQS SUV. I've just been mm-hmm. reading some rumors that. This will be the ID7, but then there will be like an SUV version of the ID7. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Fun. Yeah. The naming scheme, I, I don't quite get. I mean, it's just like like Hyundai with the Ionic 5, 6, blah, 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 whatever we're right. going to have next. Um, and is this giving you Ionic 6 vibes? Because I kind of get some. I think it looks way bigger, especially in the greenhouse, because mm-hmm. the Ionic... Oh, you mean 5 or 6? A 6. Yeah. yeah 6. Um, the 6 is so... It prioritizes the aerodynamics so much mm-hmm. that I feel like just it swoops much lower in the back than this. This seems to have a much larger arc over the passengers. I feel mm-hmm. like there's going to be a lot more visually. It looks like there will be more rear headroom than the Ionic Six. I sat in the back of one at the LA Auto Show and I was like, it's it's getting up. Like I'm getting cramped. I'm only five yeah. nine, so I had like maybe one inch left. But you do the math. You yeah, it gives like, me like a little. Um... I, the scale is a little bit difficult to really determine yeah, here, but I do kind of see uh, maybe a little bit of Volkswagen bug in a way in the fact that it mm-hmm. does have this definite hood and then it has a very round 
passenger section. Yeah. But it also has like you know that little wing at the back that's you know a little a little uh, ionic sixty. I'm I'm interested to see how this sells because sedan sales aren't on fire in America at no. all. No. And now we're going to get two electric sedans. So uh, you know how do those fit in and and why would someone want one versus the more practical ID whatever? I don't know. Yeah. And then finally, I guess the last major thing, what was widely reported as the Sony car was actually the, the Sony Honda car, as mm-hmm. we all know, actually. Uh, they brought the prototype, the first prototype vehicle they've been working on together, and then they gave us a brand name, no model name. So this car is just the Afila for now, but they're going to apparently give it a name later on. Yeah. And they've got plenty of time because they said it won't be on sale or it won't be delivered here until early 2026. So yep. Very yep. far off, very early prototype. A lot of things will not make it to production, but it's such a simple design that I feel like not much has to change. So Yeah, I, I agree. It looks very production intent, to be honest, as far yeah. as concept cars go. The only thing that they would really need to change is the digital side view mirrors. That would be about right. it. Right. Um, you know, the, uh, and this is, of course, going to be built on the Honda platform, not the Honda GM thingy with the right. Ultium batteries. So lots of strange decisions there going on at yeah. Honda in a way. Um, I'm just not sure I'm a feeling the name um <laughs> yeah it's uh i mean it's not the worst name i've ever heard but i'm not sure what a feel is supposed to be yeah did they at all i didn't watch the presentation did they explain it did i'm sure they did but i tuned that part out yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't make yeah it's like that's what we decided we're going yeah, with that just yeah. just going with a, a feeling it up so feel- um, <laughs> there yeah. can be so many it's gonna be in so many songs it's going to become I, part of so many songs. Part of me really hopes that they do call it Nafila because, yeah. you know, why not? Um, it'll be a little – it's unsure as to how this Sony-Honda partnership is going to play out for those that that are just hearing about this for the first time. Sony and yeah. Honda are teaming up to do a car. Sony's doing the electronics part. Clearly, Honda's doing the car part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of screens on the inside, Sony interface. And uh, supposedly they should be able to be serviced at a Honda dealer, but Honda dealers are a little upset that they appear to be not in the sales side of the car yet, although no sure thing has been set as far as how they will be sold. So that's still up in the air. Um, It looks like some Honda dealers may be readying lawsuits, however, to try and make sure that they could sell Afilas. (laughs) Yeah. Well... I guess I'd be upset, but it's a whole new brand. So I feel like they don't, yeah. I mean, if they need to rely on Honda, like Genesis is relying on Hyundai dealerships, I guess for the time being, that'll be all right. But after a while, that brand name deserves its own separate experience, I feel mm-hmm. like. Yeah, it's that question of, you know, if it gets branded as a Sony Honda, then why not take it to the Honda place? It's not like yeah. you could take it to the Sony store. No. Are there Sony stores? There used to be. I don't no. know if there are anymore. Yeah, I went to the one in New York City. It was cool. Oh, okay, but, you can go get your your Vio fixed. Well, that was yeah, and, that was that was two thousand seven. So yeah, I'm get your Vio sure repaired and your your Afila installed, and yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting that the companies uh, you know involved here are companies that are both right now, I think, in a way, struggling uh, for a direction. You know, and I hate to say this right. about Honda because I've I've loved lots of Hondas for a while, but some of the Honda models do come across as struggling for direction right now. And right. Sony is a brand that definitely has been struggling, you know, for direction themselves. This is not the era of Walkman or Discman anymore. Um, the yeah. whole Vio thing didn't didn't exactly set the world no. on fire. Yeah, 
I would say Sony is the remaining thing Sony is appreciated for now. Things that are left. PlayStation. Mm-hmm. I would yep. say uh, the TVs are pretty well respected. But who buys a C- who buys a Sony TV anymore? That's true. They're not. I as mean, popular, I love my really Sony. Expensive. I was I was a dedicated Sony fanboy. You know, yeah. I had the Sony CD players and the Walkmans and the Discmans. I had a mini disc player for heaven's sake. <laughs> like who who on their right mind would buy a disc? You know, a Discman uh, or a, sorry, a mini disc player recorder. I had a recorder too with a little keyboard that you could wow. type in there. It was so cool. Um, and I had you know I had the the Sony flat CRT TVs because those mm-hmm. were bitching man. Um, yeah. But you know now you can get a flat screen TV with Roku built in for like a hundred bucks. Who cares? Yeah. In my mind, somehow that makes Sony a company that enables technology, but not necessarily a technology company. I mean, there's obviously tech involved in a camera or camcorder. Again, we use them here to record, you know, the things that you're watching. Uh, But yeah, you know, the one thing I hate about my Sony camera is the user interface. (laughs) Yeah. And um, the one thing I hated about lots of Sony products I had before was the user interface, and that's what yeah. they're supposed to be tasked with doing in the Ooh. Sony Honda. Well, they're having help. I think AMD is one of the people. That's true. It's true. Yeah, AMD's yeah. got the processing, I think. And then, oh, what was it called? But let's be honest. I mean, they should be having Google or Apple help them with the user interface, because if you think software user interface pleasing things, um, you know, it's the people that make, you know, these things, that's that's who's mm-hmm. got the interface down. Do you think the Apple car is actually happening? No. No? I think that's a pet project to pour billions of dollars into because Apple's swimming in cash and they have no idea what to do with it. But they certainly don't want to return it to shareholders. That's a Ooh, conversation yeah. for a future episode. Absolutely. <laughs> Something we reported on, reported on, something we discussed a couple weeks ago was a leak about the uh, hybrid Corvette. Turns out yes. we have official word that they are going to reveal the Corvette E-Ray, which is the official name, capital E-Ray, mm-hmm. Dash, mm-hmm. E-Ray. <laughs> they are going to reveal it on January 17th. So we'll get all the information on it. It has um, stealth mode. Yes. I assume that's going to be electric motors only doing something to be quiet. I don't know. I'm guessing so that way you can get out of your neighborhood HOA, you know, yeah. without them, you know, yelling at you in the mm-hmm. in the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's intriguing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that Corvette needs to go hybrid or plug in hybrid as as technology moves on yeah. and green things move on. Uh, speaking of plug in hybrids, we should reveal the results of our plug in mm-hmm. hybrid mm-hmm. survey, uh, which I was not happy with. <laughs> Let's just be upfront. Uh, Mitsubishi Outlander (laughs) actually ended up winning. Um, Yeah, 951 votes. Uh, There were a total of uh, 2,900 votes cast. Uh, We tried to move everybody over to Survey Planet so we could get things from all outlets together. Uh, And that resulted in fewer responses than we had separately on surveys, but it made Mm -hmm. the, the smushing of data easier here. Uh, Runner-up was Kia Sportage. Runner-up from there was Kia Nero. Um, and I would say it's it's interesting, and I think we're going to do a runoff vote uh, for two big reasons here. The first one is uh, Hyundai and Kia have four vehicles that are very, that use the same plug-in hybrid system. I mean, they're very similar. So it's, you know, Sportage, Sorento, Santa Fe, and Tucson, all the same plug-in hybrid system. 
Uh, they all got very even numbers of votes, uh, other than Sportage. Sportage got the highest in that that group. Mm-hmm. So I'm <clears throat> curious as to how many people were maybe splitting their votes because they weren't sure which of these they wanted to do. Um, right. And how many votes were maybe, you know, I hate to say it, a bit of morbid curiosity about Mitsubishi. Sure. Um, if I had voted, which I didn't, I didn't want to skew anything. <gasps> you didn't vote? I didn't vote. I'm sorry. That's what's, you know, oh, you young people, you just don't vote anymore. Well, I will be, <laughs> quick aside, you know, you're talking about how you get like, you know, mail-in surveys and things like that. And that's how a lot of mm-hmm. research is done. I never received stuff like that. Oh. I will get the YouTube ad though. That's like, we answer this quick survey. I will always do oh. that. But I never get anything in the paper or in the mail. I was say, you get a paper? What? How old Not are you? paper, no. Um, okay. No, actually, I, I shouldn't throw the young people under the bus because apparently Zillennials are actually voting at higher rates per age group than baby boomers. So, uh, you know, not all the Zillennials are even old enough to vote. But at any rate, uh, you did not. So I'm going to throw you under the bus there. So uh, Mitsubishi Outlander, uh, is that a yay or a nay from you on Outlander and why? It's a yay. I mean, it. look, you'll be the only one around driving one. <clears throat> so you'll stand out. It's a cool looking car to me. I do and, like uh, the look. You can, because I know you will, because you'll be responsible with it. But like, I'm pretty sure you'll charge it to the point where you won't have to deal with the hybrid part of it, the hybrid downfalls mm-hmm. of it, as often as the average person who just buys these with no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's that's my, honestly, my only complaint about the Mitsubishi is its hybrid fuel economy. Yeah. Because it is, let's be frank, it's bad. Um it is less efficient than the non-hybrid platform mate, uh, the Mitsubishi, uh, the Nissan Rogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's less efficient than the regular Mitsubishi Outlander. Um, <clears throat> and that's a bummer to me, really, because Sorento is bigger and mm-hmm. it has a mechanical all-wheel drive system and it is 10 miles per gallon more fuel efficient. Yeah. Um, that's That's a bummer on the Outlander front. According to the website here, it is 38 miles, so just, yeah. just under 40. Uh, the Sorento is, of course, less. Um, it is uh, do, do, do 32 miles, so a decent amount less, you know, six six miles-ish. Uh, yeah. Both would get me home and to the office on approximately a charge. It's probably better likelihood on the, on the Outlander for actually doing that. But that day that you can't charge... The Islander's going to use a lot more gas. Yeah. Do you know what the fuel tank sizes are? I do not, uh, but let's mm-hmm. see here. So the answer here is the Sorento has a 12.4-gallon gas tank. The Outlander plug-in hybrid has just an 11.3-gallon gas tank. So mm-hmm. it is a decent amount smaller when you combine that with the 26 miles per gallon, it's not going to go as far on a gas tank. Although I don't actually think that's a problem because right. um, you just you just fill the gas tank. Who who drives more than 300 miles? Uh, I, I don't care about bladder busting range. I just want to, you know, I can pee. That's fine. You know, <laughs> I might want to yeah. stop at Taco Bell and get a taco or something. Uh, so let us know down there in the comment section. And, of course, be sure and stay tuned because there will be additional voting coming up soon. I think we're going to make it a three-way final vote here uh, because uh, the split on Nero surprised me. Uh, Nero beat out Escape. It beat out Sorrento, Santa Fe, and Tucson. 
for the number three spot. So I think we're going to narrow it down to the top three, three different drivetrains, three different vehicles, three different really size vehicles as well. So I think it's fair. Yeah. Outlander is a small three-row. Sportage is a large two-row. Uh, Nero is, of course, a subcompact front-wheel drive thing. It's the outlier, but it's ultra-efficient. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, out of those three, what would be your vote if we could actually get you to vote? Hmm. I just don't like the look of the Sportage. I, it, it's warmed yeah. up. I've warmed up to it a little bit because I've seen them a lot here. Uh, so I'm seeing them more, and I'm more comfortable with the front end than I was at first. But I'm not sure. It's not my favorite look. It's still not my favorite thing on the list design-wise, no. So I guess... The best part about being inside the Sportage is that you can't see the outside from the inside. And it's a nice place to be on the inside, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I don't know. What was your answer to this? I can't decide. I'm torn. I am really torn as well because I do like the efficiency of the Nero. It is fantastically efficient. Uh, on my yearly commute, if I only drove the Nero uh, plug-in hybrid, plugged it in at the office and at home, it has a tiny battery, so I'd easily be able to charge it at home uh, because of that high efficiency. I would only use 85 gallons of gasoline to drive 16,500 miles. Yeah. Um, so that is fantastic. In any of the others, I would definitely be using a lot more because, yeah. A, they're a lot less efficient on electricity. Uh, and, and that results in you know using more, obviously, more resources, uh, period. They're also less efficient on gasoline. But any of the others really at home, I probably couldn't charge it, uh, you know, for maybe four months of the year. I just wouldn't have enough energy since I live off grid to do that. And the Nero really shrinks that window to maybe just December and January where I couldn't charge it. You still have the EV6 too. So I feel like people want to see a different brand. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, that was a yeah. one of the reasons that in this, in this initial process, I didn't want a Kia or Hyundai. I want to just wipe them off the list. Yeah. Uh, but we got a lot of feedback from people writing in saying they wanted us to try specifically a plug-in hybrid, which we've never tried before. Yeah. And that led us down this road because I don't want to spend an arm and a leg on a plug-in hybrid. There are a lot of luxury car plug-in hybrids that are fantastic that I love. The Audi Q5 is excellent. Uh, Volvo's plug-in hybrids are great. BMWs are lovely. Um, however, they're all expensive. And when it comes to plug-in hybrids under $50,000, it's basically a Kia Hyundai party with a little bit of Ford and a little bit of Mitsubishi. Hmm. I guess I'd... And a minivan. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would pick the Nero. Yeah, yeah, I kind of lean towards Nero. Uh, my but the thing that I dislike about the Nero is that the the plug-in hybrid can't get the full LCD instrument cluster. It's a partial. Right, yeah, little bummer there. And but you at can least in the EV. A flat surface, so it kind of yeah. pulls you into thinking it is it at does. first, and then you're like, oh, it does. it's not. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then you feel cheated. Yeah, it's, it's like why? <laughs> yeah, I paid good money for this. And then the other thing is no all-wheel drive and uh, manual mm -hmm. passenger seat. But I could live with that. I think that that is a solid option because the efficiency is fantastic. Is it too early to to add the Prius Prime to the list that we haven't driven it or we know much about it yet? Uh, I think it's too early in a way because we're the the initial plan was to try and have this sealed up before the end of January. We might not hit that deadline, but um, we're we're going to be somewhat close. Yeah. Also, 
I am not that thrilled with some aspects of the Prius, to be honest. The interior room is really limited. The cargo area shrunk a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this particular uh, long-term vehicle for us is probably going to be shared with the other side of the business that's on that side of the wall over there. So we might actually try and keep this one for more of a two- to three-year term and that means it needs to have enough storage space to actually do the things that the materials engineering yeah. business needs to do. So, you know, practical storage space is, is definitely a consideration, uh, I think, here. Would you be getting a fully loaded um, Outlander if you got one? No. I think we would be getting the base Outlander. We okay. would be getting maybe a mid-level trim sportage or a top-of-the-line Nero plug-in to try and keep things around the same price yeah. point, uh, 40 Maybe forty forty thousand dollars is sort of the the target here. We want something that's under the average new car price in America. Um, you know, Nero really wins the the race there because you could Nero uh, for quite a bit less than the others, and that really is you know the major advantage for something in this in this space that is a plug in vehicle is you could Nero plug in for thirty three. Uh, 33.9, somewhere around there. Yeah. You could Outlander uh, for about 40000 The Sportage is a little, or Sorento is a little bit more expensive. But any of these vehicles you can get for less than the price of the average new electric car in America. Yeah. You aren't going to get your gasoline consumption to zero, but you're going to have a significant impact on it. Um, you know, yeah. the average, average commuter is probably going to be spending, you know, Maybe five hundred dollars a year on gasoline, something like that. You're going to be consuming under a hundred gallons uh, if you're the average commute profile in North America. So uh, that's the logic here: is is proving that there are alternatives that are not cold turkey on EV. You won't have the worry about range anxiety. You won't have the worry about how how much range do I have left after five years, etc. Um, and you know they're they're generally speaking going to be easy to live with. So Buick is a brand that we don't talk about too much, and that's mainly due to the fact that they're kind of fading into the background in terms of consumer interest, but they're trying to rectify that. There are a couple of spy shots floating around from a few different vehicles and some actual official Mm -hmm. photos from cars that I think we can now close to confirm are coming to the United States. Uh, The first one is the Invista. Have you had a chance to look at that one? I have seen the Invista, and I really like the look. Uh, Buick's transformation is interesting to me because in the U.S., Buick needed to still exist because the average buyer is not actually old and living in the U.S. The average Buick buyer is young and living in China. So it's a yeah. it's a big brand there. Uh, and, and in order to sell on its Americanness, they couldn't cancel it in the U.S. So it's had this this life support in a way from General Motors corporate in the U.S. for largely that marketing reason. Mm-hmm. And then for a while, it was where GM was tossing their their you know, European models. Opals were going to, to Buick land. Right. But now, of course, Opal is part of the Stellantis portfolio. So it's yeah. with Chrysler. So they can't jam Chryslers uh, with Buick logos on them. Uh, so now we're getting, you know, this interesting mix of sort of Asian Buicks coming over. So the Invista is a Chinese market model. I really like the look. I like the sleek design. It's probably going to be built either in China or in South Korea where the current Encore uh, is made. And it may actually even be related to the Encore. Uh, And then it looks like we're going to get an electric Buick, right? Yeah. So their whole electric fire or their electric lineup is going to be called Electra, which is harkens back to the old model from the last century. That's a good name. It is a good name. It's perfect. Honestly, 
Um, and so, they're, well, they're going to run with that. They're going to do a whole family of cars like Ionic. You know, they're going to do that. So we've got the first model that's coming to the United States, apparently, is the Electra E4. So all the models will be Electra E something. Perhaps the E will change to a different letter depending on the e is a know, style of vehicle or the performance. Maybe we don't know yet because it's very early. But the E5 or the E4, excuse me, is also a very low to the ground, mm-hmm. swoopy. I don't know. It's an interesting look. I don't know. If it reminds me of the first generation Mercedes-Benz GLA. Yeah, let's go ahead and pop a picture up there for people that are on the YouTubes yeah. here to take a look at. It definitely is in keeping with the Invista and some of the other designs that we've seen from mm-hmm. Buick for a while. It looks a little bit less practical than I thought. I, mm-hmm. I had kind of hoped it would, well, you know, I know GM hates to be reminded of these days, but I had kind of hoped it would be more of a badge engineered uh, Blazer or, or Equinox EV, but it actually is going to yeah. be quite a unique look <laughs> built on the same common, of course, Ultium platform as mm-hmm. those other vehicles, but it's going to have a much swoopier, sexier style. Yeah, and so apparently this is the one we're getting, but the one we're not getting, it, it fits the description you're talking about, the E5. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> that one. It's the boxy looking one that looks like it would be similarly sized to the Equinox. Um so I don't know, maybe eventually we'll get that one, but that one seems perfect for our market. I don't know why that's not coming here. Yeah, I am. I too am surprised because it seems like it would be the logical choice. I'm yeah. wondering if they think that it's too samey-samey or, or maybe they're just waiting to see how it goes. Since it is built on the Ultium platform, theoretically, they could build it in the U.S. factory. Yeah, and one last note about these designs. The front end is inspired by that, I think it was the Wildcat concept that mm-hmm. they showed last year. They've really just taken it and run with it. Do you like this look for Buick? Or for me, I'm, I'm struggling to love it. I don't love it. I don't know why. It it gives me a little bit of of Hyundai Kona mixed with Honda, uh-huh. uh, but I don't think it's a bad mix. Uh, I think it's no. uh, it's it's not as distinctive as I would have thought it would have been. No. But it also is not offensive in any way. So I think it's going to blend in fairly well yeah and it has one little styling element the 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 way they do the c pillar or the d pillar with mm-hmm. that black hash line that yes. comes out from the uh the window uh, surround that uh that'll be identifiable people will be like yeah. oh, I know what that is that gives me some some european <clears throat> maybe slightly mazda-esque uh sure. you know yeah. feel here and there not a bad thing to be reminded of and the the back end is very sleek I, that's probably the best way to describe the design it's it's very sleek it's not not overdone it's definitely a restrained kind of thing yeah so we'll see we'll see well we don't know when anything about one of these are coming here we know the e4 is probably coming here for sure <laughs> probably for sure that's the one that people are thinking is coming here first, at least. Yeah. We don't know when. So, yeah. But you know, the, the future looks electrified, uh, <laughs> you know, but are you a feeling it? I, I'm just not, I don't know yet. Is that, is, uh, that, is that too punny? Sorry, everybody. Too soon. You're too soon. Too soon. Well, uh, you know, be sure and stay tuned for the survey coming up. Uh, find us over on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. Twitter, Instagram, all those other places. Uh, You can, of course, hit the subscribe button. And if you are watching the video or the podcast, be sure and subscribe to the other side so you can see our pretty faces. Or if you don't care for the way we look because apparently Brian hasn't cut his hair in a while, uh, just uh, listen to the audio format only. So uh, we will see all of you later. See you.